Welcome everybody to episode 60 of the USL way. We have made it to the big six. So we're 40 away from 100 episodes. We'll be there before you know it. That would be a this year thing. That is a this year milestone episode 100. Um, and just going off of episode, well, first of all, let me introduce to you, of course, Noah. He is back. I believe this is the third or fourth episode in a row. He is here to stay confirmed Fabrizio Romano just tweeted it out guys Noah's here to stay welcome back Noah to the podcast yeah good to be back as always um it's it's funny how I've been on you know three consecutive podcasts which is uh which is one more podcast than the current players Las Vegas have signed so far um (laughs) sorry sorry Las Vegas fans um but I mean they're the banter club of the USL. Come on now. So it's it's a uh, it's all good. Las Vegas. There's the they actually signed a good player in Charlie Adams. So you know we'll get into that. We'll we'll get into that. But uh, yeah, sorry sorry to diss you, Las Vegas. <laughs> but always good to be back. <laughs> we love our Las Vegas fans. I will say, of course, we love you guys. But you, you we have to get that little jab in there every episode because everything about them is just so different it's it's a good different don't get me wrong they definitely do things their own way but they are definitely a team in this league that is for sure <laughs> yeah yeah they, they have probably some of like maybe potentially the best promotion nights and then some of the worst i've ever seen i'm not gonna lie i do like the money drop but then then again it's like the it's it's like the same thing though in vegas as well like what you're gonna get Twenty twenty dollars out of out of one dollar bills. It's like it's the same thing if you gamble. You, you know, it's it, it's it's par for the course in Vegas. You you bet like fifty dollars and then you get back like ten or you get back ten, so you make back what sixty dollars off of that. It's like, yeah. okay, that's that's cool. But <laughs> you get you get free money at least. It's it, no true. one's complaining. I think they do like last time they did it. I swear it was like twenty grand, which. For the amount of people that they had been getting in attendance is enough, but like it's a bit scarce. Either way, um, and I also tweeted out that now that the Super Bowl odds were over, I wanted the over under on how many mattresses would be there for their mattress promotional night. I'm saying we need a full end line of just mattresses. That's all I want. I I seriously like wonder if like. Any of uh, the fans that went there, specifically, you know, like 49er fans, I guess, that traveled to Vegas for uh, for for the game, did they know that Las Vegas Lights existed? I'm gonna I hope so. House money. So. I'm I'm putting my money on there. They they don't they don't know who they exist. So um, I think they do. I think they do. Las Vegas Lights is. Oh, well, let's hope they do. I mean, let's let's hope they you know actually know. Uh, Let's hope they actually know about the the real football. Yes, that's a bold claim, but but whatever. Um, they know the most cultured, historical Las Vegas team. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only so many years in a row you can finish bottom of the Western Conference and not be labeled as one of the best Western Conference teams. What were they, though? They were one point away, like uh, 2022, I think, something like that. 
God, they, I don't, they have not made the playoffs in their history. So, well, I mean, I mean, the year with Cal Jennings and Danny Trejo, oh, but you know, they, they had the, they I think had the they were close. Thing. I think they were close. Um, but I believe it came down to the final day, if I'm not correct, but I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, so we're talking about Las Vegas already. We'll keep talking about them. Um, they did announce a player, of course, Charlie Adams, one of the best, um, forward thinking midfielders in the league, one of the best midfielders in the league in general, of course. And this kind of coincides with the FC Tulsa, like I'm not going to say mass exodus, but exodus that you're seeing. Um, They let go of Jeremy Kelly after the new coaching change. Now they let go of Charlie Adams, of course, as well. It's been a bit shaky for them and Las Vegas um, improve off of that, off of that little uh, fortunate situation going off in Tulsa. This is probably one of the best pieces to build your team around because, like we have said uh, previously, he is right now their only rostered player. They still have about 17 more players to go at least. And we did get a teaser that Las Vegas will likely announce at least one more player um, on the 13th, which is probably the day that you are listening to this. So that's something to look forward to via Las Vegas. But Charlie Adams is probably one of the best starting points you can get um, in this league. To it's it's like Las Vegas, Las Vegas's inaugural season all over again. Like this is a full restart that they're going for. It feels like. Yeah, and you know, before I touch on the uh, the signing for Las Vegas of Charlie Adams. I just feel like so betrayed by Tulsa. It's like, <laughs> you know, you know, the the, the day I yeah, the day I, you did it. The day I put them, of course, you know, they're power rankings, so they shift. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course the day I uh you know say, oh, they're they're actually gonna be a decent team this year, they go out and they say, No, no, Noah. It, this is this is this is not how it's gonna work. Um and of course, they ship out Jeremy Kelly and for whatever. I will say as well reason. that they did also um, let go of Rooksy as well. I knew yes. that they were the third yeah. player, but they let go of Rooksy on top of Jeremy Kelly and Charlie Adams after their coaching change. And what is Rooksy as well? He's a center back, correct? Yeah, he is a center back. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, me as a modern BSC fan, I'd love to get him because we're short on center backs right now. Uh, I think if any team picks up Rooksy, you know, that's that's going to be a great pickup, but kind of progressing forward in a sense that letting go of Adams was was tough because he has a really good skill set, and uh, he's just he's just a really unique player that has a lot of dynamism in that midfield. So really for Las Vegas as well, they're getting a player that um, is just seasoned as well, and as you said, it's something to build off of, in which you know an era of an era of which that like Las Vegas haven't had a whole lot to build off of. It feels like, especially coming off of the last season. Of course they had the season where again, as we mentioned, they were close to the playoffs, but that was also the year that, you know, it's, it's, it's in partnership with, with LEFC and all that other stuff. So this is a good foundation. And if Las Vegas can come up with similar, similar signings like this, it's going to be a building block, not just this season, but for seasons to come. Uh, and it's a good skeleton so far. Yeah. And he, he's, tw- so he's 29. He is right in that 
prime age, especially for a midfielder, because every position really goes off of a different age. And this 28 to like 32, 33, I think is the like prime age range for midfielders. So they have got someone who they can build upon um, for at least the next two or three years. They're set there. It's all about how they build out the rest of this roster. There has been no noise on the players that they are looking at. This Charlie Adams move completely shocked me. I thought he was locked in at Tulsa. Um, clearly, there has been some sort of maybe unrest or just kind of shift in um, philosophy, and some of the players just aren't about it, and that is how we get this. For for integrity's sake, it, I, I believe it was uh... – I, I won't say exactly what happened, but it was something uh, to do with like unrest and and all that stuff. So, but for integrity's sake, I won't specify. That that makes sense because drastically shifting the ideology of a team in preseason for someone like um, Blair Gavin, who leaves and who was a first year head coach, and you're going through that with him, and then you get another new head coach. That is difficult, um, and for Tulsa, it's just it's not a good look. Charlie Adams, I think, probably went to the best place that he could have gone, um, specifically because I think Las. I think, speaking frankly, Las Vegas will probably have a season like Loudon did last year, where they show up. There's like they're going to show up for every game, unlike they did last year, where it felt like they were just getting pounded on time and time again. Las Vegas will be in the games this year. They are like actually taking it seriously, it seems like, and not just being like a brand that wants to do crazy shit. So I'm very pleased with that. Um, like I said, it's just how they build out the rest of the roster, which again, I've gotten I've seen absolutely nothing on what kind of roster build that they're going for. So I'd be intrigued to see which ways they go building around a piece like this. And you know, I'll put this out there. Uh, you know, Charlie, you know, he's a central player, but he also has played, and this is a crazy stat, he has played 25% more crosses than any other number eight in the USL. It's like he will put the ball into the box and say, go get it. Not only that, but it's a wicked delivery too. So I think also in a way for, for Las Vegas, and also in terms of Tulsa, when they signed him, it wasn't necessarily a signing that you heard a lot of noise about, I feel, because it was like, okay, they signed it. Tulsa signed a really good, you know, central central midfielder. But with Las Vegas, it feels like it's a it's a statement of intent. You know, it, it feels like a statement signing in a way, given how last season went, given how the organization has been as a whole over its course of, uh, you know, the the entire of, it, of its entire existence. So really, again, uh, it's good to see Las Vegas actually make a good move for once. And it's, it's one they can build off of. Definitely one they can build off. Of. I'm, I'm very interested how their season goes. And I'm interested as well in Hartford making yet another big splash. They bring in Nishi Ingalina. He returns to the USL championship. One of the most electric players in memory, um, specifically from that 2022 season where himself, Haji Berry, and Elvis Amo were absolutely lethal with the switchbacks. I think one of the best 
front threes, one of the best trios we have ever seen in this league. I mean, 12 goals, 8 assists, and 34 appearances. Played well in the playoffs as well. Unfortunately, the switchbacks couldn't get it done. Just output all across the board there. And Hartford bring him in um, to... It feels like this is the defining piece now. This is the end piece for Hartford. Like, their build is done. I think there are a couple moves um, to round out, but it feels like that their squad is pretty full now with everything that they've done, and Ingalina is the final piece. But now I'm also getting into the attitude where it's like, you know, is this going to take a full season to you know, come together. It's it's definitely, I don't think, under Brendan Burke, because he's a great, he's a great coach. Um, and they've built a great team on paper, but that squad gelling that you need, I don't know if just a single preseason is going to get it done with the complete overhaul that they've gone through. And I wonder how much patience they have wanting a good season, having only had one really good season in like their entire history. Will... If things don't go correctly from day one, will they actually be patient and let the squad, you know, come together and be able to just be cohesive throughout like the end of the season, which is probably when they're going to play their best soccer because, you know, they played like a full two, three months together. I'm, I'm interested to see that. But Ingalina is at the very least a home run pickup for a team that needed life in every position this season. Yeah. And, you know, to kind of answer that question that you have, I think I'll answer it in two parts. I'm going to go on a limb and say that, no, they'll they'll be patient and they'll actually kind of, you know, give a little leeway in a sense that they'll have to look at the fact that Brendan Burke was a key piece in constructing that Colorado Switchbacks team. And if they give him the freedom necessarily to kind of work his wonders. It it won't be a, you know, maybe two and done or a three and done type season. Well, it could be a one and done type season if he goes on and wins the USL championship, I guess, but, um, <laughs> and then goes back to Houston Dynamo and Juan Guerra goes back to Phoenix rising. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah. So, and then the second part to that is I sure hope they give trust to, um, Brendan Burke and, you know, actually let him gel the team and round out the squad in other ways. So I think that, again, the only thing they really need is a backup left winger behind Galena in case something happens. But he's also very durable, so I don't know if you necessarily need to worry about that. But if they round it out there, you're looking at a squad that's probably going to potentially play a four-back, a four a four three three potentially. Um, and you have Galena who is like potentially one of the best, and maybe this is a bold claim because you know it's just it, I guess it is what it is in a way, but he potentially is one of the best USL championship players of all time, given his move to Turkey, um, with Gus Tepe. And I know he didn't play that well there, but you just look at his track record in the USL championship in a style of play. I don't think it's too far off to make that claim in a way, but he adds just such an incredible element to this Hartford team. And it is a statement signing at the end of the day. So Hartford, 
Um, I still they're obviously still not going to probably win the East this season. Yeah, but this really puts them on the path potentially to do that down down the years potentially um you know as time progresses yeah i think if brendan burke stays because i think hartford will have a good season i i literally said that last week i think they'll finish around fifth or sixth um and if brendan burke stays then i think 2025 is really a year to be like hartford are contenders if they can keep this squad around because just glancing at it they have built a monster that is capable of so much when you look at Romario Williams and Mishi Ingalina up top and you can substitute out Marcus Epps Enosh Mushigalusa that is wild and of course Mushigalusa still has a little bit of proving to do because he didn't exactly have the best 2023 Mishi Ingalina of course while we have been singing his praises this episode, only played around 15 to 16 times in the Turkish league with Gustepe. Will there be a little bit of rust? He only played twice this season before. Um, it's either twice this season or twice this year before making this move, um, I believe on a free as well. Hartford might have had to pay a little bit. Um, but it's a lot to look forward to. The attack looks phenomenal. And overall, like like we've been saying, the squad on paper looks great. Um, it, it all just comes down to, for me, will they be able to come together and understand each other and the philosophy coming down from Brendan Burke in time to start off the season well, which in turn can usually lead to a better season because you start off the season not too well, then you get into that summer period where there's so many fixtures, you know, we've got so many midweek games into weekend games, and then it's just back into a midweek game, or maybe you're lucky and it's just another weekend game after that. But you're playing like six or seven games a month, pretty much. Hartford need to start well. Um, and I think I think a player like in Galena will help that a lot. Yeah, it's, again... I think this team is going to score goals for fun. They will. Like, they will. hundred percent. So then therefore the concern or my best concern at least lies within the defense in how that back line, as you kind of said, gels together and solidifies, um, you know, you have Farrell back there and you also have Van K Zeal. I also like the signings of, or the signing of Scarlet. Um, Akpunono is interesting. Um, maybe not as proven as those other three in a way, or at least Farrell and Scarlet. But, you know, Hibero is also a decent shot stopper, I think, potentially. I mean, I haven't seen him play yet, of course, but he comes from where? I Brazil, I believe. Um, yeah, Brazil. It feels like Brazil always produces decent shot stoppers. So uh, that's just like, you know, me assuming. But um, I'll, have, I'll have to probably go watch a few of his highlights potentially after this. But... It's um, it's 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 just that really. That's that's it for them. I feel like because I just I just look at this team and all around, it looks so solid. 
it really, 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 really does. You have Epps in the midfield and Barrera as well, who's very seasoned. Hairston and Chapman as well. Asiadu, who is probably one of the better defensive midfielders in the USL. And you have Buckmaster and Tristan Hodge and Samaria and you know, those out wide, Buckmaster as a right back, Samadhi and Hodge as left backs. Again, it's well balanced. It's very, very well. well constructed. It's just about Brennan Burke implementing those systems from day one. And then as they, you know, get implemented, you know, becoming, getting that good chemistry together and having that really good build up play. So, it's it's looking really exciting, and if you're a Hartford fan, you know this is probably going to be your best team, like you know since what 2019. So 2020, 2020, 2020 yeah. is when, if I'm remembering correctly, correctly, 2020 is the only time that they have made the playoffs. Um, so it's it's not a make or break year. They've they've it feels like they've had a lot of make or break years. Um, so I won't say that it's make or break, but. Brandon Burke does need to make a good impression. I think he will. I think he'll get uh, Hartford in the playoffs. I think this team will relatively succeed. succeed. Um, we're going to talk, we're going to hit on one more. And I will say, just drop a little bit, there will be a overall transfer update for all the ones that we have missed. Of course, we don't have time for the main episodes if we want to hit everything. So look out for a full transfer-only episode later this week. But we are going to talk about, of course, Sofiane Jafal from Austin to Orange County, not the most experienced player. I will say roughly 40-ish appearances or 40 to 50-ish appearances when you cross over um, MLS um, College Cup, of course, which he has played in some of his college games. And I put College Cup on there because I would say that those games are a bit more competitive as opposed to, you know, Whoever, you know, like Clemson playing like Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, so I'll put College Cup on there. Only about 40 to 45 um, actual competitive professional appearances, which could be a bit worrying. But a lot of those come in MLS with Austin, of course, with DC United as well. So he is an experienced journeyman player. He's been around. He understands what it takes to come into a new team and to provide from day one, how to just slot into a new role and take that as it is for orange County as well as their center midfielders um, get a bit older. They, to me um, seem like one of the older teams in the league and Jafal coming in at 24 years of age, looking to make a name for himself and find a permanent home, I think that is massively important. So, you know, and I'm, I'm talking about these midfielders, you know, Seth Kasipoli, Kevin Partita, they are getting up there. And Orange County have done a very good job at managing and finding these younger MLS, I'll say, I don't want to say reject, but these coming down from MLS talents that need somewhere to play. And they've done a very good job at um, seeking them out and being efficient in who they want. You know, I'm talking about players like Cameron Dunbar as well. Um, Owen Lamb, who left the LA Galaxy Academy after Galaxy 2, um, did really well with that one. I was very high on him last year. I'm sure a lot of people remember that. 
So Orange County in in general have done a very good job. Um, and Sophia and Jafal, it feels like, like we talked about with, um, who was it? With Hartford. This is one of their final pieces on making this another good year. Yeah. And I think like for, for Orange County, this is a, this is a good signing in terms of depth. It's tough to say whether he would start over I, I Martina or Kisipli. You think he would start? Okay. I do. Um, to be fair, I'm I'm not like super familiar with Sofian Jafal. Uh, I, I, I must pretty... I must confess. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's a like... pretty raw talent. He is very. For my time watching him in MLS, because I go through these players and I go and watch through. But it just so happens that sometimes some of these players that come down, I've already seen them before. I don't really need to. Sofian Jafal is one of those. Of course, I watch MLS as well. Um, I've seen Sofian Jafal play. Very raw player. Very mistake prone. Um, skillful, definitely. Can he provide offensively? Yes. Can he fight def or provide defensively? He needs to improve there. That's for sure. Very good manager in the middle of the field. But I, I do think if he has a good preseason, he will start um, just based off pure talent. And, you know, there are just some players like Kisipoli probably will start. Partida, maybe. Um, but that would also be taking a more defensive role. So it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I do think, though, that he will prevail. But he, he does have a lot to work on in this game if he does want to. Um, cement his spot in the starting eleven for like the whole year. Yeah. So, and I mean, again, with him going to Orange County and being under a coach like a manager like Borton Carlson, yeah, that's going to be a really good opportunity for him to get those mistakes out of his game because Borton Carlson is a really good coach. And the biggest thing with Orange County last season you could tell how well they were drilled and how well they were trained by Morton Carlson. He instilled that... Um, that, like, X-factor. Yeah, he instilled that X-factor. Like, you can be this X-factor. You can actually go out and, and, and get this this these three points if you lay it all out on the line, and it paid dividends for them in the end. So... I also kind of look at a guy like potentially as as we all love him, Owen Lamb, who, I mean, he it, it feel it feels like you know when he went to Orange County, um, you know it it kind of kind of changed for him in a way because he had that that manager like Morton Carlson at his side who was kind of almost mentoring him in a way because again Morton Carlson he played uh, if I'm not correct, so again having that manager who has his philosophies and has played super important and nobody has really done it better. Well, there have been, there has been, but Morton Carlson is certainly up there in terms of managers who have done it really well. So it's a really good move for, for Jafal in that sense. And I also think Jafal is coming into a very inviting and I'll say kind of similar environment as other players. Orange County is a great place to play. 
a lot of great things that you can say about them. Their most recent um, kind of promotion thing where you can become an owner of the club following in the foots of Oakland, I think gets fans just that much closer to it, to the team, makes them feel like they are actually a part of the process. So I adore that. But it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful part of Cali too. It is. It, it really is. Championship Memorial Stadium is, or I believe it's just champions, championship stadium is beautiful. I love it. Um, hope to be there one day. But either way, they are bringing in two players in a similar position as Sof- Sofian Jafal and Ethan Zubak and Charlie Asensio. And I think if you bring these types of players in as a group, all going through the same situation of, you know, getting these one to two year contracts, with a USL championship team, not necessarily as a um, last like chance because they still have an opportunity to possibly go back to MLS. They have another fall to League One if they really need it. Um, but I think that just really rounds or puts it together together better than if they had just brought in Jafal or someone like that uh, by themselves. Yeah. Definitely agree, and it gives them, um, you know, a lot of options in that midfield. As you kind of, as you kind of mentioned, Jafal would certainly be the more attacking option, and for for all the success that uh, OCSC have had over the year, I think in terms of defending and and sitting back and and getting those just absolutely crucial one nil wins, um, they almost kind of in a way revolutionized sort of last season uh they it feels like they scored more goals under carlson than they really ever have under um richard chaplow it's like he he did a phenomenal job so really for them it's it's a it's a good signing and yeah all we all we can do is uh look forward to it i'm very much looking forward to this um, upcoming Orange County season. I think it will be, a, it will definitely be a big year. Um, but there are a lot of teams that are buying for those mid-level playoff spots. So got to let the games play out. Of course, uh, we'll move on here. Our next really big piece of news is kind of our last, um, of course, USL Super League. Of course, this is the USL's women's side of the game, of course, obtains D1 sanctioning, that is, of course, Division 1 sanctioning, and essentially in a kind of, not tactical, but a formal sense, USL is on the same level as the NWSL, which is, to put in broader terms, I should say, is the, like, MLS ish version of women's soccer in the United States. And now we get the USL putting a women's division on the same level. And they already have so many teams that are not really currently playing, but will be a part in 2024, will be a part in 2025. We did see that Phoenix is not going through with their team quite yet. There is a possibility for them to return. Um, should they find it viable, but with so many teams already lined up in so many different markets and to gain division one sanctioning in their 
inaugural years is absolutely huge for not only the women's game because it's another counterpart of the women's game in the United States in the United States which we need badly the women's game is while it's getting there it still feels so underdeveloped and so untapped but it's also a big get for the USL if they want to hit the same levels of MLS in even the near future which I think is possible yeah, hundred percent, and it's it's a landmark, you know, sanctioning. It is a landmark it from is. from U.S. soccer, and I think uh, President Amanda Vandervoort put it best. You know, she said this is a tremendous moment for the U.S.L. Super League and for women's sports. Um, it's it feels almost surreal that we're kind of talking about U.S.L and division one in the same sentence, but here we are, right? It's, it, it really is incredible how far, you know, it's kind of come not, you know, just with USL in general. Right. So it's, it's going to be huge in growing the game for, um for, for women, for girls in particular. Um, and, just in just in general, it's going to provide a a different pathway from that of, you know, NWSL. It's it's going to be a league that is very inclusive, which you know we always love to see, and most of all, it's going to be super entertaining, it right? So especially when you get that D one sanctioning. So again, it's it's important times and it's good times as well for USL League One. Or USL Super League. Bye bye. <laughs> and the I think while this is landmark, there's still a lot left to do. And I think that's also broadly across the world because the United States definitely, in my opinion, hits women's soccer the best in terms of broadcasting, in terms of just getting it out there. The US women's team has been one of the best, if not the best team. It feels like for the past, they haven't been well done well recently, but it felt like it was just five, 10 years there of pure domination. Uh, Barca Femini are absolutely huge in Spain. The Women's Premier League in England is always pretty well followed. I know Arsenal, I believe, broke some attendance records there. VFL Wolfsburg women do well as well. And then the Australia women's national team. I know they have a lot of support there, but there is still a lot to go in a lot of other countries, whether they be developing, you know, fully developed according to whatever um, requires that. But either way, there is still so much to go in so many other countries that have women who are capable and would be good at football, but just don't have access to it. And I think things like these where especially women coming out of college have a more, um, I would say, women coming out of college heading to the NWSL, since there's only so many teams in the NWSL and it's the highest level probably in the world, is difficult. And then the USL Super League now gives them another opportunity to get that um, pro playing um, straight out of college, which is huge. And it's, 
I mean, I'm hoping as well, Modern RBSC potentially get a USL Super League team, of course. But um, that would be, I, I, well, probably shoot for the W League, maybe, I guess. But um, yeah, it's 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 incredible times we live in, don't we? Uh, but the work is not done, as as one might say. It's it's there's always something that can be improved. There's always something that we can continue to enhance in today's games, in today's game for women's. And again, as I said, it's super entertaining as well. I watched Wolves, Wolverhampton Wanderers women play Brighton in the F, the women's FA Cup the other day. And again, super entertaining. Went to extra time. And, you know, the the Wolves women's side is, is D2 and Brighton are D1 in terms of women's soccer soccer in in england and again wolves took them to extra time so it's like again that's what you're getting you're getting absolutely quality entertainment but also you're getting quality play as well which is what you love to see um but you know it's it's incredible very exciting times uh coming up ahead that's for sure for the super league and i'm, I'm very excited i mean just as anyone would say who's very ad- advent or very into the USL world. I think it's time for a quick break. And we're back. All right, we're back. You know what time it is. Last week, we had my Eastern Conference Power Rankings. The week before, we had Noah's Western Conference Power Rankings. And like I said last week, this week, it is Noah's Eastern Conference Power Rankings before we finish off with my West. I told him before we recorded this, I better see Loudon up top. And I received not so awesome news about that. <laughs> well, there's there's a team below them in 12th. So that's that's all I'll say. Um, uh, and again, as I kind of said to you as well, like if you're below 8th, I, 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 I don't really care. Uh, to, to be fair, that's like in terms of playoff predictions, I guess. Uh, this is power rankings, I guess. So uh, to get into it, um, in 12th, it's fairly explanatory, as you also kind of said in your power rankings, um, Miami SC, because they have had just everyone leave, it feels like. <laughs> and... Not much needs to be said there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can add much either. I said a lot last week. They had one big addition that has not swayed my prediction at all. Um, they brought in Andrew Booth from the Charleston Battery. I'll talk about him later this week. Very good midfield pickup, but on top of all else that they've brought in and everything that they've lost, which made which is what kept them pretty good last year. I just don't see them being any higher than 12. And of course, like you said, the 12 through eighth or 12 through ninth, I should say. Um I, I think there are three definable teams in those areas that are like um just I I would say close to no chance at making the playoffs, <laughs> which is a bold prediction. But I'm interested to hear your number 11 like i haven't heard it already <laughs> you know as well like one, one more thing on miami i guess uh they're turning into 
a Serie A, low low tier Serie A, and Serie Serie B side. Because it's I believe their coach is Italian, if I'm not correct. So yeah, um it's like cool, but you're bringing in youngsters, my guy. It's like they're 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 not experienced enough to be in this league. Um so yeah, in eleventh, I do have Loudon. And I think Loudon is going to be good this season in terms of like how it has gone the past ever so years in a sense like that and i and i'll say this i think there is a very good possibility that come the end of the season like you know 32nd 33rd game loudon detroit birmingham hits and pittsburgh are all going to be vying for that final spot i think there's a very good chance because i i view those two te- or those those four teams and I see four pretty quality teams in terms of the eighth seed, at least. Yeah. Right. Um, I just think Loudon just have have more to build on necessarily, and they very well could do that. You know, the rest of this offseason. Zach Ryan is obviously going to be a, an important part, but I feel losing guys like Coa Santos and Aiden Rocha are losses that can't necessarily be overlooked. In getting Drew Skundrick was also big, but it feels like defensively, in terms of those two players that went out, those are just two really massive losses as well. Yeah. And of course, um, this team is still very, very young, um, which can have its upsides, but it can also have its detriments. And I think for a Loudon team that is still looking for their identity. Um, after these past couple like tumultuous seasons, uh, I think it's going to take one more year. I believe I put them in 10th, but 11th, uh, I could see as well, purely just based off of the not necessarily inexperienced. They do they bring in some leaders, like you said, Drew Skundrick. Um, they did bring in Cristiano Francois, like we talked about, Florian Velo. They've played a while, those are just good pieces in general, just for leadership, but still very young. Still needs more time, for sure. Yeah, and to add on one more to the to some experience they added at least Tommy Tommy McCabe, um, de- decent signing, decent signing, absolutely. But um, does it really add anything to them necessarily, and push them a little bit higher in terms of places? It just doesn't necessarily because Tommy McCabe is again a little bit older and. I don't know if he necessarily fits the timeline for uh, that Loudon team. And so in 10th, I do have Detroit City FC. It, you kind of touched on, or we all we all kind of, we touched on almost all the things I feel we could have touched on last time when we were talking about Detroit City FC. Um, will Elvisamo be that guy? I, I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't shade him to given the season he's had, but as I kind of mentioned last episode, put the right pieces around him like you did in, um, like you did in Colorado. Who knows? He could, he could have like the season of his, of his, of his life, you know, but again, you know, guys like 
James Murphy are going to be key in that midfield. Michael Bryan is always going to be solid for you. You have Nate Steinwasher. There's all, they're always going to be solid in defense. They just need to find that goal scoring threat. And again, whether Elvis Amo can provide that or someone else just still remains to be seen. I know I, I've not really, I've always been about that Detroit can't score goals and we've always been proven right. But I do think it would be funny that Elvis Amo would be the final touch that really got this flowing. I mean, it's definitely a possibility. I'm just not a big believer in that. And what I do like about Detroit is bringing in Danny Dishio and moving Trevor James to a different role. They have still kept a lot of their core from last season, which is pretty admirable, I would say. They have a lot of faith in their guys, just don't think the season went their way. Um, they were pretty far away points-wise, but position-wise, it wasn't the worst season ever. And I just think they have a lot of trust in their system. Just needed a couple more changes, you know. Elvisamo is a threat. Do they think that he is the threat? Apparently. Um, so fair enough for that. Uh, it, it'll be, for me, though, just a pretty disappointing year. And, you know, bringing these players back aside. It could be a bit rough again. Yeah, and for for Detroit, I think it's good that they actually got a little bit of change in there. Two seasons running in the USL Championship, you get seventh one season and eighth the next season, so you regressed in a sense. Um, you know, it was definitely time for for a little bit of change. And moving Trevor James to that front office role is. It's I think I think it very well potentially could be a good thing for the club. That's also kind of like with. With with Monterey Bessie because it's just my personal experience, right? A lot of people are potentially surprised to see Frank Yallop come back for the head coaching job this season with two seasons without uh, playoffs and in the first two seasons, granted. But that's just, again, my personal experience, right? Um, and so moving on to ninth, and I just like, because these top nine, or at least this kind of almost middle of the pack was really tough. And it felt almost bad to put them here, but I had Birmingham Legion FC. And I just like I, I I was struggling to find a team worse than them necessarily that have that have done worse moves than them necessarily. And I just I just couldn't bring myself to find that necessarily. You just you just look at that roster and you wonder if there's enough goals in it. The defense, I don't necessarily have any questions about. Cronali is really good. You know, you you have seasoned veterans in in, in Mensa and Matt Van Ockel and um and the other goalkeeper that I can't find his name. Trevor um, baby. Trevor Spangenberg, yep. So again, there are some ex- there are some experienced players there, but Losing Juan Agadello, losing Nico Brett, losing Anderson Asiedu, who was probably one of the more pivotal cogs in that Birmingham team, losing Gabriel Alves, losing Mateo Bunbury, losing a guy like Taylor Tyler Freeman, who just again, as we kind of said, didn't work. Colin Smith. I just again, I, I struggle to find where they have outweighed other teams necessarily. And again, the skeleton of the team is decent, but it feels like that's it. That's fair. I mean, I have them all the way up in seventh. I, I, I 
come across your points and I agree. I just think basically I have a little more faith that they'll execute on all the points that they need to execute because Birmingham have been pretty reliable um, the past couple seasons in, you know, putting together a good squad and kind of squeezing out everything that they can get from it to get those extra couple of positions that you might not think they can get. So, but I can, I can definitely understand like if you just under, understand mine. Um, from looking at this roster and understanding a bit of the situation that they're in. So as well, I'm also kind of banking on teams like Rhode Island to round out their roster, yeah. which I think they will. And, you know, it's a matter of they, it's a matter of whether they round it out with quality or not, which I think they relatively will. Um, but again, I just, I couldn't find a way to put Birmingham above Pittsburgh because Bob Lilly is just Bob Lilly. He, he's, he's got it done time and time again. He got it done last season, and he's a big reason why I put them in that number eight spot over Birmingham Legion. And again, they're going to struggle for goals, I think, in a sense, and they're not going to be as good a defensive team as last year's and as I mentioned last episode, but Bob Lilly can work miracles. It feels like as he kind of did last season when we all thought that there was going to be a significant drop off. And I am kind of, ba- again, I am banking on Bob Lilly, but it's like Pittsburgh. They just, sometimes they get it done, man. There. Pittsburgh is like it feels like America's or the USL's hardworking team. They just get the most out of every game, every opportunity. So I that's why I put them in eighth as well. Even banking on a lot of straight out of college players. And you know, you got the two that really aren't and Eric Dick and Pierre Kaye. Pierre Kaye coming from Revs too, pretty solid there, Eric Dick. Not a big fan of him as a goalkeeper, but understandable for a veteran presence at the very least. This Pittsburgh team will get it done, and they don't disappoint, really. I don't think it would be disappointing if they got into eight because of how inexperienced a lot of the new signings are and the roster is really going to be, and losing all the big pieces that they did, including... The two biggest Arturo Ordonez and Albert Dickbois. Um, so Pittsburgh definitely for me regressed from last year, but don't quite fall out um, in terms of playoffs. Yeah, and it's like the the players they're bringing back: Junior Etu, Mike DeShields, Dana Rivera, Langston Blackstock, Patrick Hogan, Elel Osumanu. Edward Kizza, Danny Griffin, Robbie Mertz, Kinnara Forbes, and Luke Biasi. That's good. Though all those players are really good USL players. Especially when I look at guys like Luke Biasi, like Danny Griffin, like King Canardo himself. Um it's just again losing those key pieces, your center back pairing, that was your just the the absolute rock at the back that Joe Farrow and Arturo Ordonez was, 
it's just it's going to play such a huge part in their downfall. But what's even more underrated, I feel, is Jamali Waite leaving and the shot stopper that he was, but also at times playing in a maybe more uncomfortable position because Bob Lilly would put him a little bit higher in terms of when he would play the ball out wide. Um, he, he made the most of it. And he ran with it, and he did really well. So losing him was was massive, and losing a guy like Shawanmi is is huge as well. But again, Bob Lilly has an eye for talent. Yep. He has an eye for hard workers, and I I think like a guy a guy like Pierre Kaye is a is a great a great pickup in that sense because again you you need you need a center back. You let go of two of your center backs, um, so. Bob Lilly can always work wonders, it feels like. Um, moving on to who I have in the number seven spot, I have Rhode Island because you just look at the moves they've done so far. And I cannot bring myself, personally at least, you know, not like necessarily looking at um, the the gelling of the team in a sense, which is important, I feel. But for a new USL championship team, they have gone out and gotten some staples of the USL championship. And I feel with what Connor Smith is doing here, I don't think he's necessarily throwing it all out there like, like Phoenix did. I think there's some thought at least into what Connor Smith is doing because he is, he was a really good assistant coach and, you know, whether that translates to him being a really good head coach, uh, a really good manager in, in Rhode Island, that remains to be seen, of course, but Albert Dequo right away immediately puts you in that conversation for trying to push for playoffs. As long as you have a decent structured team around him, which so far, relatively, they do. Again, just got to round out the roster. It feels like we're beating a dead horse with that, but it's just simply the case with them. Um, so, again, just couldn't bring myself to put them in in like ninth or whatever. And, yeah, it, it just it feels like they are going to be pushing really hard this season. The one thing I'll applaud Rhode Island on for sure, because I put them in ninth, is – their ability to just make this a real melting pot of a team. You have a lot of identities. You have a lot of college players coming out of the first year, specifically Jackson Lee. A lot of players coming down from MLS. You have a good mix of USL caliber players who have proven it, like Koke Vegas, who's been with the Loyal, like JJ Williams, who's been with Phoenix and Tulsa and Tampa Bay, like Marky Barr, who they picked up from Pittsburgh, huge pickup, like Alberton, you know? They've done a real good job of building from a lot of different areas, which is definitely one of the key aspects of, for me, building a good roster, especially um, in this league. The only area they lack in, I feel, is is fullback. I think, again, you know, Joji Quazera and, um, and Gabriel Alves, good pickups necessarily. But those are the only two fullbacks currently on the roster. They need to get some semblance of depth there. And whether that's quality depth is always telling. And when you get into those 
absolute meat grinders of, you know, summer month fixtures when if you don't get off to a good start, as you mentioned earlier in the last segment, it's tough to come back from. So really for Rhode Island, I, again, I think they'll make the playoffs, whether they will be in eighth, seventh or sixth. I think fifth is potentially pushing it, but I wouldn't be surprised if they got that either. And then I would be seriously surprised if they got playoffs uh, at home. But imagine that playoffs at, I believe it's burn stadium that they're playing at um, Baron stadium. I don't know how to pronounce it necessarily, but which is a college stadium by the way. But anyways, uh, moving on to who I have in six, I have Hartford. And I, it's just, I, I'm just, I'm just on the Hartford train, man. I, I can't, I can't help myself. Right. But seriously, like when you, when you look at Hartford, I feel there's no way I can be told otherwise that Brendan Burke, who constructed potentially one of the greatest attacks in USL championship history with Colorado, you're telling me that that man is not going to construct an incredible roster, whether it's his first season or not, and then not lead Hartford to the playoffs. I feel like that's just, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know about that. Um, but I don't know necessarily if Hartford can push on and, and get those, those home playoffs necessarily. I think again, it's going to take that this first season under Brendan Burke, especially maybe like the first five, 10 games or so for players to, really get used to his playing style, um, his system. Michi Galina is going to be a big contributor in that aspect as well because, again, he's been with Bredenberg. He knows what his systems are like. He knows his philosophies. He knows his tactics. And he could very well, in that sense of a mentor almost, be kind of a make or break for Hartford. It, that's that's one thing I think is gonna that's going to fly under the radar in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I specifically want to touch on what you said about the beginning games because I feel like, like we said already as well, it feels like those are the biggest games if Hartford wanted to push on and be a higher than like a six seed because we all know how um, those summer months get, how the end of season gets if you're on a skid in the summer as well. So I do have full faith in Hartford that they will um, finally hit the lottery correctly and will – get the playoffs this year. Uh, it feels like the roster build is actually complete. Brendan Burke's philosophy, philosophy we're all very aware of. Um, and I think he's got a lot of pieces that he's not only familiar with coming from Colorado Springs and sticking with that area for a little bit after he was gone. Um, he's also just brought in a lot of quality uh, from across the league, which I'm very, very pleased to see Hartford um, looking like a real team this year. Yeah, and I don't. I don't think it's too far of a shout to say Hartford potentially could be one of the better, well-rounded teams this season. I do in terms of, in terms in terms of depth. It's like you you have guys like Jay Chapman who are potentially going to be like uh, starting behind uh, Marcus Epps potentially. I don't know if that's the correct position, but just throwing that out there, right? There's going to be a lot of competition in this team because they have such quality players across the board. So really for Hartford, it's just going to, again, be about that gelling process and getting through those first five to 10 fixtures and getting, you know, maybe we'll say 
13 to 15 points potentially around that 10 to 15 points around that range potentially so moving on to fifth um i have indy 11 which i'm kind of on the indy 11 hype train i guess in a sense this would be an upgrade from last year obviously where they finished sixth and Again, it's kind of the same thing with Michi Galina. It's kind of the same thing with Albert Dequa. When you get a when when you get as as a prolific goal scorer as Augustine William is, man, as long as you have that well-rounded roster that that you need to build around a guy like Augie Williams, a guy like Albert Dequa, a guy like Michi Galina, it is going to put you in contention for vying for playoffs and very well potentially home playoffs even. So, again, I look at that roster for, for Indy 11, and I see the guys coming back like Callum Chapman-Page, like Cam Lindley, like Adrian Dispay. That that defense is going to be solidified, which is going to be very important, I think. Dispay and Chapman-Page at the back in particular, but also picking up a guy like Danny Barbier and Joshua Bryant. Two guys who... We'll have to see if Danny Barbier starts over Chapman Page potentially. I don't know necessarily. Um, it's they're going to be stacked at the back. I think like they're they're gonna they're gonna have a really good back line, and they're going to score goals as well in that midfield as well. Cam Lindley is going to boss the park. So for Indy, really, it's it's about. Just again, oh, and Aiden Quinn, of course, I, f- I forget about him. He's he's probably one of the better, you know, midfielders in USL history. So someone go out on a limb to say as well that he is the best midfielder in USL history. But really, Frandy, it's 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 going to be about as as well, just gelling with the new coach and getting to know his philosophies, his ideas, his tactics as well. And I think Sean McCauley is a good coach as well. So. I'm fully on the indie hype train. Um, Sean McCauley, I think, is the biggest question mark um, coming from Minnesota United. This would be, I believe, his first um, like professional coaching job with the Indy 11. I, I want to say he did coach a couple games for Minnesota United, but not too sure on that. And then I do think the defense as well will probably be one of the most underrated in the league. You mentioned the whole back line. Uh, but I want to put particulars on Aiden Stanley. I think he's one of the more top fullbacks um, in the USL in particular. And that midfield, just as good as it was last year. Um, did, did lose control, I feel, of a lot of games early in the season, but they definitely picked it up at the end. And then pairing Augie Williams with Sebastian Buenzotti, we are talking at, like, last year with, like, 2019 or 2021 Guenzotti with the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Like, if we can get those two together, get Guenzotti firing again, it would be a 40-goal partnership. I don't think they'll necessarily hit that, but it is up to that level of good between those two. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And it's just, yeah, you struggle to think how... Indy 11 can't potentially push on for home playoffs this season with the additions they've had. Um, 
So moving on to my number four spots, I have the North Carolina FC. I don't know why I said that like the Miami FC, but whatever. Um, you know, for North Carolina FC, they've done an incredible job. Like coming back into the league in, you know, what will be their first season back in the league in three years or something like that. I, I, I'm not quite sure on the number, but they struck a really good balance in terms of identifying which of the players are USL championship quality caliber from last season's USL league one winning roster. And then going out and just getting the absolute like war chest of players that they got this, this offseason so far, Rodrigo da Costa, Paco Craig, Evan Conway, Justin Malu, Colin Martin, Jake McGuire, who is a very underrated goalkeeper in my opinion, uh, Ezra Armstrong, Ja'Cory Hayes, Akira Fitzgerald, at goalkeeper too, one of the more experienced goalkeepers in USL. Oh, like, I mean, it's in, it's insane. Like again, it's they are they're going to be stacked. Like just looking at the this roster, it's almost like it's it's just almost blinding the names they have: Lamar Batista, Bryce Washington. So. Really, for them, it's not going to be as hard as an adjustment to coming back to the USL as it is for like a Memphis transitioning to the Western Conference. Because Memphis are going to have a lot more fixtures away, they have to travel a lot more. And certainly, North Carolina FC, they brought in players that are just high quality superb and players that will be difference makers like Rodrigo da Costa and Evan Conway. So really for them, it's, it's a, it's a season that is going to be wildly successful in my opinion. And I would just be absolutely shocked if, if they didn't get home playoffs at the very minimum. And that feels like that's what most, you know, North Carolina SC fans and USL championship fans in general are expecting for them. I think you and me hit a lot of the same points, a lot of quality of players, a lot of experience of players. Uh, the, the thing I'm excited about the most is I hope Lamar Batista can give us another absolute banger, another opportunity at a freakishly good goal. I think about that like every other day. So please Lamar Batista. Yeah, you you really you really got a feel for for Paul D B there, you know, um, the Paul Paul the Wall as uh, as as Oakland fans call him. I feel good. Um, North Carolina, though. I feel good. Oh hundred percent, Um, but the team I have above them, and it just felt almost right, or it felt really right in my opinion, is Charleston Battery, Damn. because. It just like they made the final. There, uh, there's no way I can I can put myself out there and say that North Carolina FC are going to be over Charleston Battery when Charleston Battery made the final last season. And I think in general these like top three are very interchangeable. Like they're it's honestly that close, and it's just up to anyone's discretion. But Charleston Battery, 
Um, and third, the only reason why I didn't necessarily put them second, I feel, is because they lost Fidel Barajas. And I feel Fidel Barajas, losing him, is just that big of a loss in a sense. I just, like, I can't I can't bring myself to put them above a team like Louisville, a team like Tampa Bay, who are able to retain potentially those types of players for one more season or something like that. Um, but overall, they're still going to be a damn good team. Um and yeah, that attack is still going to be good. That defense is still going to be good. Ben Pierman is honestly probably the best manager in the league. I would go out on a limb and say. So, yeah, good good chance Charleston very well could make the final again this season. Yeah, and I put them in three or in the two. Can understand the three though. I do see a big worry um, about the turnover there. Lost a lot of players. Lost a lot of big players. Brought in a lot of big players. Um, as substantive replacements. Um, still have a bit of rounding out to do, probably two or three more moves at the least, I would say, for Charleston um, before they are like a regular season contender. Because those one-off games, Charleston have that attitude already. They showed it to us last season. It was, and last season going into, we were like, will Charleston even really be there? We knew that they were good, but we were like, you know, hold off. Ben Pierman coming in, bringing in a lot of baggage from Memphis. Could it take a while? No. First season, he gets it done. So definitely very high on that. And we're going to head to another quick break before we get to our final two there. All right. We're back. Number two, Noah, please, what have you got for us? Real quick, honorable mention. Uh first third segment ever in USL show. Yes. Uh, in, in in USL way history. So um uh in, in number two, I have Tampa Bay. Again, I'll stress this because it's like and it's the beautiful thing about power rankings. It's not playoff or it, it's not it's not standings predictions, right? Nothing is set in stone. It's all very uh flexible in a sense. I do have Tampa Bay in number two. And again, like them and Louisville, you could rotate them necessarily. They're they're both that good, I think. But in terms of Tampa Bay, they have a lot of uh, a lot of talent on that roster. And you have a guy, by the way, like okay, well, first I'll list their roster real quick. Connor Antley, Charlie Dennis, uh Jordan Doherty. Zach Caraval, Lewis Hilton, Cal Jennings, Forrest Lasso, Josh Perez, Freddie Kleeman, Phil Breno, Aaron Guillen. And Leo and then, Hernandez, baby. Well, I was gonna say to last. I was gonna list the, <laughs> the end, big and one. I was gonna and then I was gonna ask you, well, who is missing from that list? <laughs> um <laughs> Red it's like they they yeah, they have Leo freaking Hernandez coming back from 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 Achilles injury. It may take like three games or or well maybe more than three games for him to really get get back into the thick of it. Or at least I hope it's not more than three games because he's an incredible player. Yeah. Um, but also bringing in guys like Manuel Arteaga, Danny Chrysostomo, Blake Bodily, who is a very seasoned midfielder, uh, slash fullback, and um. Jordan Farr. <laughs> I'm so Jordan. Yeah. Jordan Farr. I mean, what more needs to be said about this? And and Nick Moon too. Like, 
this is such a quality roster. Tampa Bay are always up there in the standings in the Eastern Conference because they know how to get it done. They know what the hell they're doing in terms of roster construction. And again, just because they lost, like, uh, I'm looking at it here, maybe 10 players. Again, they, they know what they're doing. They absolutely know what they're doing. And I think the big thing, they brought in an impactful, meaningful player at pretty much every position. And then you look at Nyongbir, who's a little bit of an experiment, a little bit of a different player than everybody else you're looking at coming in, very intrigued about him. Um, but Tampa Bay's roster is already good. Then you add in these six players. I feel like they kind of aired out a lot of the fringe players that really weren't up to the standard. Um, Jay Lacava is very good, very talented. Gigi Williams and Connor Sparrow and Joaquin Casano really st- uh, stand out. Sebastian Dalgar as well. Then just, you know, kind of moving on from a couple of these players that have been there for a while um, and being like, we have a new direction under Nielsen. And this is how it's going to go. And I appreciate it. And I think it's going to work out a lot for them this year. I think Manuel Arteaga up top, slotting in for J.J. Williams. J.J. Williams is a decent player. But I feel like at times he's not necessarily made out what he is to be or what people really think of him. He's a decent attacker, but it feels like that's it necessarily. And to be fair, he is an attacker. So what else is he going to be supposed to be good at, right? I guess. But mainly Arteaga is just that much better, I feel. Like the dude was coming off of the bench in the USL playoffs for for uh for Juan Guerra in Phoenix Rising and he has that quality and he's going to be so good up top with Cal Jennings and um and those other guys on the roster. So I think for Tampa Bay they really need to push for that USL championship trophy this season. And no doubt they will, but they need to actually win, and I think this is this is going to be a pivotal season for them in that sense. So, moving on to who I have currently in my number one spot, I do have Louisville City FC, and last season I also had Louisville City FC <laughs> in the number one spot in the Eastern Conference. But I just feel like you look at what Louisville has done in terms of off-season additions and off-season outgoings. They currently have a 23-man roster. They have Elijah Winder, who is, of course, the brother of Joshua Winder. And Elijah Winder, I'd say, fairly flew under the radar when Joshua was there because of the sense that Joshua Winder got a move to Benfica for a million dollars. And people were like, ooh, Joshua Winder. And then Elijah Winder is here just sitting in the corner. Um, and then they have Amadou Dia, who is just ridiculously good fullback, right? Uh, Sean Tosh, you just know exactly what you're getting out of that guy. Danny Fonda, seasoned goalkeeper. Owen Dam, you know, you get what you get at that out of him, right? Very decent full, very decent very fullback, good. right? Sebastian Sanchez, Brian Ownby, you know what the hell that guy can do. He's time time and time again, he has come up clutch in huge well, he, he great 
Yeah, Ray, Ray Serrano, Jorge Gonzalez, Dylan Merez, which we were kind of talking about it off air. It's like he had five goals and two assists in about a thousand minutes last season, which were a midfielder. Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, you know, he had he had his minutes more than cut in half from yep. from from what he had in El Paso. And he still put up those numbers, which is just ridiculous. Carlos Mogale, Niall McCabe, Wilson Harris, probably one of the better number nines in the USL as well, up there with Augie and all those other guys in Dequa. Kyle Adams at the back, that's that's really good as well. It's going to be his first season, first first full, f- first full season, excuse me, yeah, in in Louisville, and then West Sharpie too. You know what you're getting out of that guy. But you look at the ins, and obviously. The biggest one in terms of the ins is the reigning defensive player of the season last season, Arturo Ordonez. And that's what really puts them over the top for me. I look at Louisville and the roster that they brought back this season. I look at that and I say, get pieces around them. And that's already a top three side potentially even top two in the USL championship. But when you add Arturo Ordonez and then guys like Tola Shawanmi, Adrian Perez, Jake Morris, Taylor Davila, and then getting Damian Loss on loan. And one, in my opinion, is obviously the most underrated signing, Sam Cleedle. That is no bias whatsoever in that opinion. But again, Louisville, of course, finished... I, I believe I want to say it was a record low finish. I, I'm not quite sure on their history before, uh, you know, 2015 and all that. But fifth was really subpar for them. And they went out there with they intent splashed. and they splashed it. I mean, they, I, I just, I just don't think they could have had a better off season. Maybe they, again, bring in maybe a few more players here and there, but they are primed for another run at the cup this season, hundred percent. I do agree that they're uh, ready for another run at the cup this year. They always are. They're always up for it. And I said I would make my hot take of the season. I need to lay one out there. I do think Damian Loss will be goalkeeper of the year, no matter where Louisville finish. Um, absolutely elite with Austin FC too. Very surprised that they were able to land them. Seemed like a first team player in MLS. They get him. And like you said, they go out with intent in the transfer market and just bring in top names across the board to fill an already loaded roster. It's just full to the brim. Yeah. And again, I look at the, the ends and Again, aside from my bias, probably the under most underrated signing in terms of the ends is Taylor Davila, it feels like. Because, I don't know, it just feels like he, even though he was an all-league you know, midfielder last season with RGV, it's also RGV, and it feels like RGV always flies under the radar. So, in turn, their players are going to fly under the radar in a sense. So, him coming to this Louisville team... Danny Cruz has an absolute unit 
in the midfield in him. And he is definitely going to be starting day one, I have a feeling. And again, Adrian Perez as well. That what he did with San Diego Loyal last season was seriously good. Um and then yeah, just just the roster so well rounded and then well coached in Danny Cruz. So Man, Louisville, you you do not want to face them this season on their day or even not on their day. They have a chance to win. Yeah, I think I think it's only fair that we end here that you give us. I think you've given us one this year, but you need to match my hot take for this episode. Based off the Eastern Conference, what have you got for us? What's that? Okay. Um, Sam Gleadle will score more than ten goals with Louisville. Wow. <laughs> Both going the Louisville way. I like it. Hey, I mean, I mean, I just, I just saw him right there. But again, Sam scored, I believe, eight goals with us in 2022, which was his career high. Again, I don't think that's too far off when you put him in that Louisville system. So, you know, it's we'll have to see. Time will tell in that sense. Damien the last. Sam Gleadle going to be absolutely elite for Louisville. You hear, heard it here first. But that's going to be it for today. Thank you guys for listening. Like I said, got a transfer update later this week. And we've got some more content in the Western Conference coming to you next Tuesday morning, as always. So for now, we'll see you then.